0: Here's an experiment for you. Take passionate experts in human resource technology. Invite cross industry experts from inside and outside HR. Mix in what's happening in people analytics today. Give them the technology to connect. Hit record. Pour their discussions into a beaker. Mix thoroughly. And voila, you get the HR Data Labs podcast, where we explore the impact of data and analytics to your business. We may get passionate and even irreverent, that count on each episode challenging and enhancing your understanding of the way people data can be used to solve real-world problems. Now, here's your host, David Turetsky.
1: Hello and welcome to the HR Data Labs podcast. I'm your host, David Turetsky. Today, we have some very exciting guests. First of all, we have Belinda Roberts from Mercer. Hello, Belinda. Hello. It's nice to be here. Great to have you. And we have my colleague and friend, Kevin Plunkett from Salary.com. Kevin. Hey, David. By the way, Kevin hosts his own competitive podcast called the Get It Right Podcast. Mm. Listen to it on your favorite podcast platform. So today we want to talk to Belinda about what?
2: The future of data, right? Future of compensation data.
1: The future of compensation data. Absolutely.
3: I mean... What's interesting is, you know, as we come out of the pandemic, Mm -hmm. there is obviously a great need for data, great need to look at pricing jobs. Salary surveys have been around for a long time. Right. And, you know, there's new data sources popping up, whether it be real-time data Mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. posting data or whatever the source is, and it gets touted as AI data or new data. But is it any better than the survey data? And, you know, what is the future of of compensation data? And I guess specifically, you know, survey data, as Mm -hmm. we know and love it. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, there are definitely different sources. And so maybe what we should do is let's talk a little bit about the survey data, where it was and where it is right now. Sure. So, Belinda, what's your opinion about survey data itself and where it's been and where it's going?
2: Look, I, I think that most traditional survey vendors have been collecting data the same way for a really long time. I think the technologies have changed. You know, we're moving away. I think we had paper back in the day and now, you know, we moved to Excel-based collection kits. And now most vendors have some kind of technology that organizations can provide their data to, to the different vendors like Mercer. Um And that technology has helped. It's helped improve the quality of the data. It's helped the experience when a company gives us their data. But it's still a very high friction process, right? So Mm -hmm. it's still something mostly annually that an organization has to commit quite a significant amount of time to, whether it be matching the jobs to that vendor's taxonomy, to putting together the spreadsheet to load up to some tool to ingest it.
1: But one of the things that it really helps with which used to kill us practitioners who used to fill out those things, was the friction of getting real-time feedback. Right. The QA loop used to take, if not months, used to take weeks to be able to get that response from the survey vendor when you mm-hmm. submitted finally, right. and then you get back the data, and then you had all of those red marks you had to correct, or all of those things in that Excel spreadsheet that you had to correct all those rows. Right. So that real-time feedback, though, that's a really big innovation, right?
2: It is. And it's really shortened the amount of time that it takes organizations to do it because they don't have this piecemeal step-by-step. It can all be sort of done in an afternoon if you want to. You know, it's still a commitment. You still have to go through the audits, although our tech has made it smarter to say this is really a problem and this isn't necessarily a problem. So I do think overall it's greatly improved. It's greatly improved for us the quality of the data and the volume of the data that clients are giving us because our tech has things like matching algorithms can help you kind of right. pad that out. So, it's I mean, it's light years to where it used to be when it was just the Excel-based, and we're sort of trying to migrate to that point where everything is collected through our online platform, which Mercer Data Connector, and so I think when we get there, that's just going to be a huge improvement. But I do still think there's quite a lot of friction in the process because clients still have to acquire the file from their HRES system, and then they have to format it, and then they have to go through the process of loading it to us. So we're still trying to think through how that, how we can reduce that friction and effort involved in clients giving us data for our traditional kind of annual surveys.
1: So we're not talking at all about integrating with HRMSs to make that process easier, is that still too much friction?
2: We are actually talking about trying to integrate with HRESs, comp management systems, payroll, Mm -hmm. anywhere where data is housed, where we can acquire it directly from clients. And that might be multiple systems. So, you know, historically, we know that the data required to input to a survey doesn't just come from HRES. Sometimes there's other information that's held in other, you know, systems, tables, spreadsheets that needs to be integrated, not to mention matching and things like that, which need to come together into one input. So we're looking at ways to try to create those connections directly into the main HRIS systems, the main payroll systems, comp management, that type of thing.
3: And so what what we've seen, right, is that that friction in the market has sort of created an opportunity for some of these you know, real-time data sets, Mm -hmm. right? Or AI-built data sets. You know, the promise is that they're faster, they're real-time, they track what's going on. But in reality, though, a lot of times we're unsure and unclear about what the source data is behind it. Oftentimes the matching, the job matching, because it's not based on a taxonomy typically, can be fraught with challenges. You know, what what is in your experience about what you've seen or heard about the sort of these real-time databases or the AI-based you
2: know yeah I think data. a lot of what you said I do think there is some value to them i I, I don't necessarily think we should throw the baby out with the bathwater I do think that they they offer an interesting lens on the market Um depends on how they're collected from who, what's the demographic making it up, or is it truly an aggregated data set that may have question about how real time is it really. So I think that those are really interesting. They don't answer the traditional questions always. They may answer the base salary questions on certain jobs and how quickly they're moving, but they're very weak in the areas of equity, long-term incentives, policy. So what our clients get from the traditional survey is just so much more than that. Like I said, I do think there's a place for them. And I think that they are an excellent um, third, fourth source. I just don't think that we can base all of the decisions, a client can base all of their decisions off them yet.
1: But I I think to your point, I think there's a lot of value to having a rich data set of lots of different things being brought together to answer multiple questions. Because as you say, It's not like we're asking one question, and the question is, what's going on with base salary? It's not. It's not only what's going on with total reward. Right. It's what is going on in the marketplaces. Right, right. And the marketplaces are very complex. The dynamics of not just the job, but also the pay and the benefits and even the makeup of who is actually in that role. Yeah. And how is the work getting done? Those are still very interesting questions for a lot of companies. They can mm-hmm. solve things with a a gig worker. They can solve right. you know getting skills, acquiring skills different ways these days. They may not even meet the people ever who get things done. In fact, now we're talking about AI doing work and robots right. doing work. Right. And so there's a lot to the equation. And so these other databases or data sources can help with that, right?
2: I totally agree, yeah. And I think you raised a good point in that we need to question what competitiveness is. I think, you know, base salary is kind of table stakes, right? It's all the other stuff that factors into how competitive is your job that you're trying to hire or retain people in. And there's just so much more data that you need to look at that's maybe in addition to the historical information that we've had in surveys, however they're collected, or data products, however they're collected.
0: Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking subscribe. This podcast is made possible by Salary.com. Now, back to the show.
1: Until the question becomes different. The question is, what are we measuring right now? And so, Kevin, to your point, if we're measuring pay and total compensation... You know are the traditional sources still the place to go right versus what are the other things we can learn from these other sources
3: or right or or to your you know to what Belinda said you know what are the benefits of utilizing some of these other yeah. third sources to supplement right you know if 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 your choice is hey I'm going to stick with the traditional sources because they're tried and true right then what is the what is the value of the role of some of these newer data sets and how do you use them and how do you, you, know, how do you map the data because the data elements are different, right? right. And you know, some of them are based on job title, others are based on job, job description. Right. How do you map those successfully together or do you not really worry about that? I mean, how do you tie the data sets equally enough together to be able to be useful?
0: Right.
1: I think a lot of these things bring up that this is going to need some evolving skills. Mm-hmm. of being able to create the right story based on the data sets, not only that you have, but even the ones you don't have, and maybe even some of the ones you find online, to be able to weave what's the right story from our organization and the business problem we're trying to solve right now.
0: Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. Yeah, and I would say that you know, to that point, it's an organizational thing, but it's also within the organization understanding the segments of jobs or employees that you need to focus on slightly different data sets. Because I think we know quite a lot about traditional data sets and non-traditional data sets and how they tend to skew towards different directions. Like, you know, traditional data tends to skew towards the bigger cities, the bigger organizations. Right. The, the crowdsourced data tends to skew towards more junior roles, more ju- younger people, often more rural representations so, but that can be really useful if you're looking at certain jobs in your organization, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that categorizing the, the use case of the different data sets is important within, within clients' organizations as well.
1: And I think it's really tough to discount those things when employees bring them to you and say, Hey, I found this online. Yeah. This is what it says my pay should be. Why aren't you paying me that? We as HR practitioners have to, or as HR executives, have to come back and have something to hand to say, "Well, this is how we're going to deal with that. This is how we're going to answer that." Yeah. And it needs to make sure as well, or you need to make sure that you have good responses for your managers as well, because mm-hmm. they're the front lines of this. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to a, a client today, and they said, "We deal with a lot of that, where people bring stuff to the managers. And I said, when I was an HR practitioner, I had that too. And I did comp, and and one of the things I would say to them is, we do a really good scientific job of measuring you and your skills against the pay of our competitors. And we do extensive analysis to say, what is competitive pay? And here's what it looks like. And we talk to your managers about how this works, and we give them the tools to make the right decisions around pay. Mm -hmm. And this person said, wow, that's great. Can you write that down for me?
3: Well, it's funny. So, you know, I'm going to toot salary.com's horn for a second here. When we came out with the salary wizard 20 plus years ago. That's exactly what we found ourselves in, right? Our customers and clients were like, hey, these people are walking in the door with this printout from your website telling them they should make X, Y, and Z. We don't like this. And we're like, well, it's a great opportunity for you. To talk about being pay transparent and talk right. about why you're paying the way you're paying right. instead of going the opposite direction, which is run and hide. Take the opportunity to be, be transparent. Now, this was way before pay transparency was, a, right. was, was really in the, in the nature of the conversation. And it's taken 20 plus years to kind of get to that point where this is now a more normal and natural conversation for both employees and employers. Employees were having a hard time having the conversation as well.
1: 20 years ago, we were telling employees that if they talked about their pay, they were going to get fired. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's right. And so the conversation has evolved a little bit. Now, because of the disclosure laws in lots of states and municipalities, you can't tell people they can't talk about their pay anymore. Now you have to talk about it. <laughs> right. and, and, and now you have to actually advertise it. And so once you start advertising it, then you need to have a strategy for how you talk to people about it internally. So pay transparency becomes the new methodology for how we have to democratize this data and give it out to everybody in ways in which they can digest it and make mature decisions about their career mm-hmm. yeah. and their work and literally their work-life balance and be able to make mature decisions around it. Yeah. So, Belinda, what are you guys doing at
3: Mercer to kind of look at the, the, the landscape on, on and look at how those how do we take what has been our bread and butter traditional data sources and evolve it to stay current and to stay, you know, um, uh, valid, right?
2: Right, right. So – I think the, the difficulty we have to a certain extent is not just a technical difficulty of collecting more data more regularly. Uh, you know, we've got certain rules we have to follow, safe harbour rules right. where data has to be 90-day aged and all of those kind of things to ensure that we're not helping our clients collude with each other and set pay pay decisions in the market. So I think we are a little bit hamstrung by that, but that doesn't mean that we have to throw out the idea of having more regular, more frequently given to us data. There are a number of products that we have, and I think the ideation to move some more of our products to more of an evergreen collection model, mm-hmm. where we're doing it on the client's time, when if they want to give us data after their focal, which happens to be in July, we'll be happy to collect it then, and maybe we move some of our products to more quarterly-based reporting, which certainly helps that. Mm-hmm. That's definitely more real-time than we have, and we have some products like that now, which Mercer Comptrix is has managed sure. that way. Yep. I think for us, that's probably going to be like a, a key step, the, reduce the amount of friction it takes for someone to give us data and then be able to look at different models for collecting it more regularly. I would say we, we still think that the rigour, while it's a lot of work, the rigour that goes into giving data to Mercer. So like we engage in a partnership with our clients, we meet with us pre-survey, we go through matching, you know, they're in the room with the peers and they're talking about, well, I match this job to this specific role. To your point earlier, you talked about, you know, it's the taxonomy isn't necessarily always there with some of the organisations for the job taxonomy. We have a very robust taxonomy and we have clients help align each other to it. So, you know, that's sharing data or anything like that, but they're saying, I match this person in my organisation to this role, how do you do it? And then we all come to consensus that everybody's going to match that specific job to this. And then the rigour around the collection of the actual data, which is extremely extensive, I don't think that's going away. What we're trying to figure out is a way to make all of that easier, get it to them more regularly, and then maybe think of other sources to answer some questions that traditional data doesn't answer. So to, you know, crowdsource data or data that's sourced through salary.com or a pay scale or even Glassdoor, for example, there are, you know, ways to integrate that into Mm -hmm. a a compensation philosophy. And we're open to that. So, you know, we're certainly talking about that with our consultants.
1: It certainly means an evolution in thinking it does because the traditional sources have always been arms length from non-traditional sources mm-hmm. because the moment you open yourself up to the non-traditional sources the purists say but that's not the survey that's not what i've invested all my time and energy right. in so it's not as valid a, sor- a source than the ones that i've traditionally used
0: right
2: right
1: which now we're in a different world right right and the world of data has evolved significantly since the 1980s or the Mm -hmm. 1970s when these things were first being worked on. Yeah, yeah. So hopefully people are getting smarter and better at being able to be better consumers of the data and know how to actually put it all together, right?
2: Yeah, and I think you mentioned pay transparency before. It's that transparency of the philosophy around how organizations pay. I think a lot of employees don't believe that their comp teams really know what they're doing. And I think that's because they just haven't been transparent. And and we know that there is a lot of thought and effort and work that goes into that. But I think they just need to share that a little bit further. I think to your point, David, the, the, you know, the employee that came and said, wow, can you write that down? I think that's important
1: having good scripts and giving managers and employees the tools to make better decisions. Not a bad idea, right. but it's a different idea than we've been used to in the past as comp professionals, because we always had to keep things in a box. Right. right. I mean, it's, you know, the, the managers, right. Are, are they
3: the ones on the front line that are having these conversations? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in a lot of cases, we've done some polling and, the managers are just as much of a loss about how to handle these conversations as the employee right they don't know any more than the employee does and that's a real problem i mean you're you're setting these poor poor people up for failure but asking them to move mountains and right. you know that's just not fair right and i i think you got to give your man if you want your managers to be effective and you want to keep your, your 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 employees in and engaged You got to give the managers the tools to be able to have that conversation because I think employees they just want a little information. They just want to know that somebody's watching out and paying attention. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And when you come to your manager and your manager can't even answer a simple question, that
1: puts a lot of doubt inside the mind of an employee. Well, unfortunately, one of the managers say they say, "Well, I don't know. HR didn't tell me, so you know, go talk to HR." And right. then HR gets overwhelmed by, especially when it's a market that's the way it is right now. They don't know the answers either, or they have to go back to competition and competition is now deluged with all these requests. Well, and then, you know,
3: the first question is, well, let's just pay more people. Let's, let's just pay more. them more to get them in the door. Right. right. And we'll solve for the problem later. Right. Well, it's going gonna, gonna to create more problems down the road.
2: And you can't afford it. If, you, you, if you were it. to like pay the market rates for hiring and then bring everybody up to the spot, you'd go broke, right? There's, right? there's no way that most organizations can afford that. I mean, there is, you know, some stories in the media about tech companies and Silicon Valley and some professional services organizations, you know, paying West Coast and East Coast salaries for anyone who lives anywhere. But the reality of applying that is, is just not feasible. You can't, right. we, nobody can afford that. Organiz- right. Most organizations can't afford that.
1: That's why they need to do the analyses and they need to make distinct, targeted investments where necessary, but they first have to do their homework. Right. Right. And understanding what the market is doing right now gives them that ability to be smart about that money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, where is this all going? where is data going to be? And if we had our crystal ball and we were looking into the crystal ball, what do we say to compensation and HR professionals today about where all of this is heading?
2: (sighs) Great question. I would say... Probably not that far in the future, maybe with even within five years. I think we're going to have a lot more acceptance of the different non-traditional data sets. Like I said, I don't think that the traditional data sets are going away. I think that vendors are going to refine how they do it and how they collect it. But I do think that other less traditional data sources are going to enter that market. But I feel like there's room enough for all of them. Um, what I think we need to do as as organisations that are you know, working with our clients to create these products is to help them understand, you know, how to utilize it, how to talk to their managers and or employees about it, the scenarios in which you might apply one and more than one. Right. But I do think it's gonna move quite quickly. And, I mean, technology is going to demand it anyway. And, and there's younger people coming up through HR now who aren't wedded to the old model. And so they're going to demand it as well. I mean, everything's on your phone, right? And I'm not saying doing right. comp on your phone, but it's that mentality of moving to the next generation of data. And that's where I think we're going to see ourselves in three to five years.
3: So, so if you had to kind of guess, right, you know, what would be in five years we're sitting down having the same conversation – what's going to be the the the, the latest trend we is it going to be a technology trend is it going to be more of a, a data and sort of a you know uh, innovation in around data or how one consumes data what what do you think that trend's going to be
2: oh i think the trend i do think we'll Technology will move the consumption of data forward, the acquisition of data forward. I don't think that's going to be the big thing because I think we already know that. I think it's the type of data that we're looking at is going to change. I think we're going to pivot towards more skills-based pay, moving away yeah, from great. the traditional job. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're talking about, you know, it's everybody's in the media talking about things like not asking for qualifications for certain jobs, but just having skills to do a job and paying for skills. To me not just skills, that's certainly going to be critical for us in the future as compensation professionals, but other sources of saying, you know, am I paying competitively? And, you know, things even to the extent of going into the the employee value proposition as it relates to total rewards. So that's where I think in five years we will be. And the data is kind of just how do we get there?
3: So do you think think the the stress around pay moves away from sort of what was considered typically either, you know, base pay and or total cash comp and more towards total rewards, incorporating other aspects of comp or even culture and some other yeah. things, right? Yeah,
2: I do. I think, and flexibility around it, giving different categories of employees or personas of employees choice around how they're compensated in a total rewards uh, realm. So, if you know, if you've got someone who's fairly new out of college and has huge, overwhelming student right. debt, right. they may choose instead to take instead of a bonus some way to pay down their their student For debt loans. burden. Yeah. So I think that's just one example. But you know, people who are at the other end of the spectrum, more around retirement type of assistance, and and lots of places in between. And and that we're doing a lot of work thinking about personas and what personas want.
3: So, so pay evolving more less about the pure number. And more about
1: the needs of the individual where right. they are in their career. Employee personalization or personalization of, empl-
2: of exactly. rewards, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Excellent. So that's where I think we'll be in five years, but, you know, I've got my magic eight ball under the table. And- there you go. <laughs> Give it a good shake. <laughs> that's right. Wow, that's a very
1: specific magic eight ball, by the
2: way. <laughs> You're not wrong.
1: Very specific. Belinda, thank you so much. We appreciate you being on the podcast.
2: Thank you, David. Absolutely.
1: Thank you. It's been great. Kevin, thank you very much. Absolutely, David. Anytime. And thank you for listening. Take care and stay safe.
0: That was the HR Data Labs podcast. If you liked the episode, please subscribe. And if you know anyone that might like to hear it, please send it their way. Thank you for joining us this week and stay tuned for our next episode. Stay safe.